dynamic voices for a diverse church. This is Pass the Mic. Greetings and God bless. Welcome to another episode of Pass the Mic. Dynamic Voices for a Diverse Church, powered by The Witness, a black Christian collective. I'm your host, Tyler Burns. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at BurnsClan. Please follow at your own risk. And joining me, as always, is the founder of The Witness. He has an extensive bio, the man, the myth, the legend, but two-time best-selling author, Mr. Blue Check Verified himself, Dr. Jamar Tisby. You can follow him at jamartisby.substack.com. What's going on, brother? You phoning it in, bro? This is what you accused Samuel L. Jackson of doing in the latest series. What you talking on about? Disney Plus. You were talking about, you talk about uh he was just I didn't just I didn't there. accuse Samuel L. of phoning. Yes, you did. And now you do it. They the accused <laughs> <laughs> Not they, not they. <laughs> uh. You doing an intro like you so done with it, bro. What you what you saying? I was phoning it in. <laughs> well, at least when you get to my part, you're like, all right, yeah, right, 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 <laughs> Man, what's going on with you, bro? How you feeling? I'm feeling great, man. This is this is PTM old school. I'm man, cutting it. up a little bit too much. We get some interesting emails about last week, so <laughs> yeah. Well, that's that's PTM old school as well. You know, one of my favorite people who kind of pushes that envelope, but also is entertaining throughout showbiz in a number of different ways. I always appreciate the people who are able to entertain you in multiple sectors. So they're able to entertain you with music, with TV, with comedy, with commercials, with voiceovers. And that person, if you're talking about the the five-tool player when it comes to everything, musicality, gifts, acting, it's got to be Jamie Foxx, man. 100%. Just... Every form of entertainment, this man excels. If it seems like he can do anything, it really does. And it also seems like he can be endlessly entertaining in whatever he does. That's why it hit people so hard whenever he had that medical emergency. So yeah. when he had that medical emergency, we don't know what it is. It hit people so hard because we're thinking, not him. It was scary, bro. Not Jamie Foxx. We've grown up watching a Jamie Foxx show. We've heard his music. We've seen him in these iconic classic roles. We know the comedy. He's just a personality that really transcends his art forms. And when he was sick, everybody was praying for him, sharing. And then when he came back and did the video, it was this really uh, non-flattering moment of social media where people were saying, oh, he doesn't look like himself. That's a clone. That's AI. That's all this deep fake and all. It's like, man, he's gone through a medical emergency that has threatened his life. He almost passed away. So, of course, he's not going to look like. He might look like he's been through some things. He's going to look like what he's actually been through. Mm -hmm. And it was a sign to me of how quickly social media can go from praying for you and shifting their attention to now questioning you. Yeah. And then we took it to another level. Jamie Foxx earlier, a couple of months ago, ended up tweeting this particular statement. He says in an Instagram story, they killed this dude named Jesus. What do you think they'll do to you? Hashtag fake friends, hashtag fake love. Now, someone shared this and said, whoa, Jamie Foxx posted this to his Instagram story. Now, if I said that to you without context and without telling you who it was, would you automatically think that's a whoa statement? 
I would automatically think, uh-oh, fake friends. What happened? Somebody betrayed you. I would think Jamie's having an issue with a friend, a yeah. colleague, a coworker, someone that he says he loves, someone that said that he loved, they loved him. Personal situation. It's a personal yeah. situation. It seemed as though it exploded on social media. And people started to ask really hard questions. And I should say social media didn't ask any questions at all. A couple of people started calling it horrifically anti-Semitic, literally, and I quote, horrifically anti-Semitic, because apparently people said, oh, he's talking about the Jewish community. This is what he's referencing when he says they. And then a fellow actress, Jennifer Aniston, she posts and she says this, and I quote, this really makes me sick. I did not like this post. Oh, here it is. Here it is. She liked the post. I did not, quote unquote, like this post on purpose or by accident. And more importantly, I want to be clear to my friends and anyone hurt by this showing up in their feeds. I do not support any form of anti-Semitism and I truly don't tolerate hate of any kind, period. Wait, did she say I didn't like it on purpose or on accident? Apparently because she liked the post. Right. People said, oh, do you support this message? I don't know how. Okay. All right. Yeah. But then they were like, oh, so this means <laughs> yes. you support this. Right. Oh, right, this right. means you, you're on. And, and this is anti-Semitism. But when she posted that, it blew up. Blew up. And then Jamie comes out. Very gracious apology. He says, hey, guys, I want to apologize to the Jewish community and anyone else was offended by my post. I know my words were clumsy and have caused offense. That was never my intent. To clarify, I felt betrayed by a fake friend. And that's what I meant about they. Nothing more. I have love in my heart for everyone. I support the Jewish community and all faiths. And I'm against all hate. Once again, my deepest apologies. So this is all playing on a very long-standing racist trope that, quote, the Jews killed Jesus. You know, and I think it's actually important for us to acknowledge the fraught history of anti-Semitism, even within the black community as well, right? Which is these these, uh, conspiracy theories that we have about the Illuminati and secret societies and People controlling finance and banks and all these uh, media. These are common tropes and harmful conspiracy theories for people in the Jewish community because what, what they, they're trying to convey subtly and really not so subtly is you can't trust them. Right. Like you literally cannot trust them. Now, on the flip side of things, so we acknowledge that anti Semitism is very present, right? We acknowledge that. Um, also, you talk about, uh, cults like black Hebrew Israelites, things of that nature, right? So people are saying, oh, these, these are fake Jewish people. These aren't real. We're the true, you know, Jewish people. So you have all of that and you acknowledge that that has led to anti-Semitism, the proliferation of white supremacy. You remember Charlottesville when they were there with their tiki torches. The Jews torches. will not replace Jews us. Jews will not replace us, quote unquote. That's what they said. So we acknowledge all of that. There's a fraught relationship here off the top yet again as black men we would say when we looked at that we didn't see anything about referencing a specific ethnic community or or nationality or people what we saw was jamie fox taking it to the black church 
You hear this all the time. This is a common saying among black folk and black church members. And it's the idea that if the Messiah was betrayed and killed, well, what do you think? Why do you think you would be exempt? Wouldn't such a thing, betrayal, happen to you as well? They didn't respect Jesus enough to to not betray him. Why would they respect anyone else? And the they is 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 not ethnic or national in nature. It is just people, right? Human nature. One of my favorite things about being a preacher is the power to create phrases. And this is why I think preaching should have a level of flourish and creativity, by the way, BT dubs. Uh, because one of my favorite things is the ability for preachers to create phrases that live beyond themselves and phrases that are imprinted on, in the minds of our communities. The eagle stirs a nest. Yes, absolutely. So you take it all the way back to C.L. Franklin, right? One of the most popular preachers, um, uh, Aretha Franklin's father, also um, a predator, right? So there's just there's that. But so C.L. Franklin, so there's C.L. Franklin who 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 coined this ability to be able to have these rhetorical phrases and had this golden voice to be able to communicate rhetorically beautiful things, the 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 truths of the word in a beautiful way. Um, you obviously have King. King's rhetorical lines lasted long beyond the his assassination. The fierce urgency of now. The fierce urgency of now. I have a dream, all the above. Shout but then you have up. more common grassroots phrases. And those grassroots phrases are phrases that all of us know and are imprinted on the minds of people who don't even go to church. I'll give you a few. Um, I'm too blessed to be stressed. <laughs> on the bags and the swag everywhere, yes. We don't know who started that. We don't know who was the originator of that, but everybody is familiar with the phrase in the black community, I'm too blessed to be stressed. Here's another one. Your haters can become your elevators, <laughs> right? Nobody knows, frankly, what that even means, <laughs> but, but at the end of the day, we know that phrase, right? Oh, it's not a, it, it's, it's, it's not a, what do they say? What do they say? It's not a something. It's a setup for a comeback. Oh, this is how they say it. It's not a setback. It's a setup for a comeback. Mm -hmm. People use these phrases and you're like, how did you also? So your pastor uses phrases. This pastor uses. It's the universality of the black rhetoric, the flourish of black rhetoric, the flourish of black church imprinting itself in very small, digestible, rhetorical punches that remind people of what they say are truths within the text of scripture. Mm -hmm. And so we're taking and interpreting it and then translate it is the work of translation to literally translate it over into common rhetoric so that everybody from a five-year-old to a 50-year-old to someone who's just getting saved would still have a familiarity with those types of phrases. And there's actually a, a, a technical literary term for this. These are aphorisms. Yep. A pithy observation that contains a general truth, sus, such as, if it ain't broke, don't fix it, right? And And these black versions of these are actually opportunities for us to communicate, and this is the purpose of almost all of them, which is very different from others, right? The purpose for almost all of them, even the ones that I mentioned, are encouragement in the middle of a situation yes, yes, that would yes. tear you down. 
Yeah. They are meant to be af- affirmational statements. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They're meant to be even Jamie's statement, right? Oh, don't get down about the fact that people have betrayed you. Remember, Jesus was betrayed too. That's the purpose. Remember, Jesus was betrayed. What do you think they'll do to you? No temptation has seized you except what is common to people. It's common to men, but the Lord's provided you a way of escape. Listen. So literally, he's saying, lift up your head. Mm-hmm. It's encouragement. It's mm-hmm. affirmational. And in this particular instance, he was saying, lift up your own head. Mm-hmm. And he was just letting Preaching us, the 16, 16 million Instagram followers that he has, he was just letting us eavesdrop on a personal conversation he's having with himself, saying, I was betrayed by a fake friend, and I had to remind myself this, and I felt like it was wise to remind y'all of this, too. But it got blued up, because in front of those 16 million people, Hang there on, were you said some. blued up? I've, is is yeah. this a flued out, blued up? <laughs> exactly. You got or it. Or is it booed up, blued up? I think it all works. It all works within the black triple entendre. (laughs) If y'all didn't know, Tyler's a hip hop head too, so he he's got some flows. Um, So yeah, but when you put it to this general public audience, there are going to be some people who don't understand black aphorisms, the affirmations, the church culture context of it, which is precisely what happened here. You have some people. Who's basically who, who, whose basic stance was, well, who are the they? The they must be Jewish. Jamie Foxx is saying an anti-Semitic statement, which is always the risk we run, even on this podcast, when we speak in in-group language, knowing full well that anybody can click play and they may not be familiar with it and therefore misinterpret what we say, especially because we don't take time to sit back and explain everything. So let's hold that thought. We're going to take a break and we'll be, we're going to be right back and talk about that in more detail. What is the function of black rhetoric and what is maybe broader society missing about black rhetoric? We'll be right back here on Pastor Mike. Hey, everybody, this is Tyler. This is Dr. Jamar Tisby. And we are excited that you're listening to this episode of Pastor Mike. But let me encourage you to support us. You can do so by going to patreon.com forward slash Pastor Mike. And for just $1 an episode. Just a dollar? Now, that's the bare minimum. That's four quarters. But if you want to go higher, okay, 5, go 10, higher. 15, right. 20, 25, whatever it is, that will keep this show going and keep the high quality that hopefully you enjoy. So thank you for listening. But you can take it to the next level. Patreon.com slash Pass the mic. We appreciate you. Hey, everybody, this is Tyler Burns with Pass the Mic, inviting you to join us for the Active Witness Challenge. You know, here at The Witness, we love symbols. And the 1965 March on Selma was an activation of Christians who loved Jesus and also loved justice. They walked 54 miles for change, for civil rights, for truth, and for freedom. And we want to invite people all across the country to join us for an entire month, the month of September, as we walk, jog, run, swim, or cycle 54 miles wherever we are. Now, this serves two purposes. The obvious purpose, of course, is we are activating our faith for justice, but we are also raising money together for the crucial programs here at The Witness. If you've enjoyed our podcasts, our events, all the things that we offer here to encourage 
encourage black Christians to be free in soul and in body, we want you to join us. You can go to thewitnessfoundation.co forward slash AWC. And here's the awesome thing. You can join teams or even create your own team and encourage people together. Let me just put in a shameless plug. I have a team this year. You can look it up. It's called Feel the Burns. I think Jamar has a team, but don't worry about that. Join my team. But I have a team called Feel the Burns, and I want you to join my team. Run or walk. I don't know what. I might be walking. This, this heat is serious. I might be walking. But run, walk, jog, cycle, swim with me as we commemorate the 1965 March on Selma. Remember, they walked so that we can run. So I was saying we don't on this podcast take time to explain like every phrase, every sort of saying that is common in the black community. That's because it defeats the purpose. These phrases and sayings are shorthand and they're supposed to be in group in the sense that you are saying them to other people who understand. So you don't have to say it. Um, You know, what's understood don't have to be explained. Right. What's what's fascinating about this, Jamar, is what I often hear is people will say, I've heard people say this, oh, I don't agree with what you all say on your podcast. They'll say this, right? But they won't actually break down the phrases themselves or what the disagreement points are. And it's always fascinating to me. I'm like, okay, now what do you disagree with? What What are you saying here? Are you disagreeing with conclusions? And often what when I press, people will say, oh, it just seems like it's not very charitable. There it is. It's not very. And I'm like, there. oh, so I'm not speaking in a way that you find to there be acceptable. And especially because, number one, you probably haven't heard black people speak like this in Christian settings. And so because of that, now you think there's something. Oh, this must be because, once again, you only know the black people in your circle of influence to the extent that you allowed them to show themselves in full. And 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 we code switch. And we code switch. So you're, you're, you're not understanding that. So now you're telling us, oh, well, you know what? Uh, this must be the influence of the world. This must be militant. You this must, must be, be divisive, radical. confrontational. You must uh, not care about uh, helping white people understand. You only want to guilt trip them. And it's also interesting because even the people who they venerate in history as examples, they're only able to be seen in a in a small lens themselves. Come on, Roots. Come on, Roots. So they're not able to be. So of course, yes, obviously we recognize certain people had different thoughts and opinions and what have you. But look at the way with the preponderance of information that they have, they still boil King down to two lines of a speech. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They have a propon- the they have palatable his- lines. The right? palatable lines. It's a specific couple of lines because they're comforting lines to white people who don't want to be uncomfortable about race. They introduce them into the conversation about justice. And by introducing them as beneficiaries of the conversation about justice, they cling to those lines. This is hope. No, it's hope that you can also still be centered. And justice can come forward, but justice on my terms, justice that makes me feel comfortable, justice that does not offend me, justice that does not require me to do anything. And so as a result, I'm like, it's fascinating how the people you're around may not say it. Black people that you're around may not say this, these things, 
But by and large, people say, oh, yeah, no, I agree with that. I've lived that. Absolutely. That makes a ton of sense. Yeah, I don't understand that. I may not agree with every jot and tittle of the things that they say. And please don't. <laughs> but I, Yeah, we don't agree with ourselves like all the time. But I can understand it. Yeah. Because I've I've been black in I this speak country. speak the language. And, and it's a language not only of words, but of experience, which gets, gets to your point about these statements, like Jamie Foxx said, are affirmations. They're ways of keeping on, keeping on. And that is part and parcel, not just of a vocabulary and a vernacular, but of a cultural experiential vocabulary too. The things that we've been through are going through. They make sense, not only in verbal context, but in experiential context as well. So we read that. Yeah, we know exactly what he's talking about. Not just because we understand the words that he's saying, but we understand the situations that he's referencing. And this is why, Jamar, think about this from this perspective. And this is why I always process the necessity of what we call the expansive black Christian tradition. Jamie Foxx is a millionaire many times over. He is more well-known than he is not unknown, right? He is recognizable, accomplished. And in a moment of betrayal, what he clings to Mm. is old black Christian rhetoric mm, interesting is the black church witness mm-hmm. and one of the things that I fear sometimes we miss in you know this is kind of a side note that I've been talking about a lot is I fear that sometimes we don't allow black those who represent the black Christian tradition the expansive black Christian tradition from all kinds of different approaches and denominational expressions We don't allow them to just simply express and craft in ways that will outlive them and live long. There's just a level, even if I don't necessarily, some some people I'm like, ah, this is kind of weird, but there's just a beauty in watching them take the language and make it their own because for so long we have had our language policed. And now so being able to have, take the language and make phrases that encourage one another and that build one another up using our native tools of rhetoric and then to have people who are not within those circles come in and assume what they are. And this is the thing we were talking about as well with the walls that have been set up. They assume what it is because they haven't been around us. So it just came to mind as you were talking, one of the new phrases as we're talking about I mean, we're constantly playing with language as black folks and being creative with it, which I actually think is part of the creation mandate of uh, be fruitful, multiply, fill the Mm. earth and subdue it. It's like have stewardship over the created order, but also over language and how we create and play and build and deconstruct and reconstruct with words. We're we're sitting here recording and we're celebrating the 50th anniversary of hip hop music, yeah, which is just a quintessential. So then I thought of a new aphorism, a newer aphorism that has become part of the black vernacular from Kendrick Lamar. We gonna be, be all right. right. Yeah. I mean, like it, 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 these things keep happening, right? So but to your point about the walls, right? This is we we talked in an earlier podcast episode when we were talking about the Montgomery boat brawl about how so many white people even subconsciously walk around as if everything they touch is theirs. Everything they can think of 
and everything that they encounter, right. they can understand. Yeah, exactly. Which is a part of ownership, right? And the thing is, you can't have it both ways. Hmm. You cannot segregate yourselves from black people and every other community that you deem undesirable. And then when those communities, because of their forced isolation, come up with their own vernacular, their own sayings, their own language, then you do not have a claim on that language to own it, to interpret it, to reapply it, because you set up those walls. And because you set up those walls, we had to do our own thing. And now we can speak to each other in a way that you can't understand. But since you think you own the language and people and culture, you want to claim ownership over the meaning and interpretation of that and interpret your own way without reference to the community that birthed it. I didn't have a problem with Jamie Foxx apologizing. I know some people did. I didn't have a problem with Jamie Foxx apologizing because it acknowledges the fraught history and the presence of anti-Semitism within some of these conversations. So it acknowledged pain and hurt. I thought it was gracious. I thought it was a measured apology. He wasn't doubling down like, oh, y'all don't know. But I wish the thing that I, I wish he could have added or could have been developed later was some sort of understanding and expression and celebration of, I just love how we come up with phrases and I love how rhetorically we just encourage each other. I would have loved to hear even him say, I'll just learn this in a black church. And I learned this from my, from my auntie. I learned this from my grandma. And we were just talking about sometimes we feel down because the people we thought we could depend on, we can't depend on them. And I feel like even in that scenario, he was forced to take the lead in a conversation and display more maturity than what others did. But also, I feel like it was a level of, I really wish there was a way for us to say, in in a way that doesn't put the burden on us to educate, but in a way for us to just celebrate. I love the way we speak. Just the ways in which you'll hear different, different regions of the country express themselves. You'll hear different denominations express themselves like literally they they tune up watch your tone we know what that means you know take your time we know what that means it's all right baby we know Mm -hmm, what that means mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and without even me having to explain every scenario black people instinctually know okay the pastor's building his intro so they're saying take your time and then they're literally not talking about actual time they're saying build the intro um, it's all right, baby. The the CD didn't play in the back. And so the dancer is standing there in the middle and she just standing there or she cracked her voice cracked when she tried to hit that high note. <laughs> right? mm-hmm, like we know mm-hmm, the scenarios mm-hmm, in which you mm-hmm, would use these things 100%. and a celebration of we're communicating with each other. And one of the dangers is when we stop communicating with each other hmm. and when we stop sharing the beauty of that rhetoric with each other. That's why I'm saying push the envelope in these options. That's why I support black podcasters, black preachers, young black preachers. I'm saying push the envelope. Show us something we didn't even expect. Like press us, explain something in a way that's like, oh snap, that's dope. I love that. I love when they create formulas and lines and because what that does is that actually shows we're continuing tradition 
that has been passed down to us. And it's a form of almost in like linguistic colonization when we have to. That's crazy. <laughs> when we have to self-censor. Wow. Because what happens is we get so used to the white gaze or the white sort of eavesdropping that we then filter our language even when we talk amongst each other. Or like on this podcast is a constant sort of reminding myself that this is our space. This is a black curated space. And if we say language or, or use language or say phrases that you don't understand, we don't have to stop to explain every single time. Because what takes precedence in this context is not the white people listening in, which we've always invited folks to do, but it's the black folks who are listening, who are our primary audience and hearers who can understand without us explaining. So it's just really interesting, especially as as like black folks in predominantly white spaces in general, but but certainly predominantly white Christian spaces, how we'll actually cease to use that language. We might even start to look down on that language because white folks don't understand. This is why our spaces and affinity spaces with just black people are so important. Absolutely. Because you will lose a part of yourself over time. And what I found is, I'll tell this story. There was a, I was at a predominantly white conference and just so happened to be on Juneteenth. Huh. And so I wore a dashiki. And another guy that I know who was there is black, wore a dashiki too. So I dapped him up and said, happy Juneteenth, brother. You know, it was, it was probably like four or five of us. Dapped up another guy, you know, happy Juneteenth, man. You know, I saw just in passing, you know, happy Juneteenth, man. Um, dapped another, hey, man, happy Juneteenth, brother. Man, you know, we it's free, like that man. Key and Peel you know, sketch where Obama is. Like, it's just kind of like people are looking like, what's people. happening? This is long before it was a holiday. Long oh, before okay. it was, it was common. years ago. It's years ago. And then my wife told me, she's like, hey, when you were dapping everybody up and you went through and dapped up, one of the guys pulled me to the side and said, what's Juneteenth? And so she explained it. Like, and it was one of those moments of like, oh, I took for granted that you, and it also I, I stepped back, I was like, oh, snap, you've been a part of this space for so long. Oh, you said one of the black people. One of black people, oh. yeah. Like when a black man said, well, what's Juneteenth? Like, and it was like, dog, like they literally removed the ability for us to celebrate freedom and a freedom moment because you've been in that space and it hasn't talked about it for so long. So you, I watched also the level of, oh, okay, yeah, first year, people talked a lot about Juneteenth. I watched churches. Second year, this year, not as much. Right, it's already shifting. They're all like, we did it. All right, you got your one thing. And so this is the... This is the interesting portion is that you go to the church to change your life and then the church starts emphasizing special days. And by emphasizing those days in culture, they either come into agreement with culture or they reject subtly to say, we don't do that here. So all the famous that July 4th, Memorial Day, Veterans Day, uh, Mother's Day, Father's Day, Christmas, Easter, Halloween, no, uh, Hallelujah party, Reformation Day. <laughs> right? So we're not going to talk about, but okay, so now culture celebrating Juneteenth, 
my church doesn't celebrate Juneteenth. Isn't that sending me a message that now, oh, I guess we don't do that here. Right. So you just accept the norm because you don't want to rock the boat. I mean, you just got saved. You just joined a new church. You just moved to the city. You want people to like you. You want to have friends. You're like, okay, that tattoo is a little weird. Okay, interesting. What does don't tread on me mean? Okay, huh. interesting. What does this mean? <laughs> okay, your beard is really long. Okay, interesting. Like, why do you have that sign? Why do you have this? Why do you share that video that's mocking the President Biden? Okay, interesting. Like you start to slowly morph into cues. this culture yeah. and you pick up on these cues and black people are picking up on it at a thousand miles a minute. They just think we don't we don't see it. Because we've got to in order to survive and adapt and all that stuff. And what is so insidious about it, and I say this because I've been there, is we think as black people that we can hold on to our blackness without proximity to black people, hmm. which then means it's, all, it's, it's, it's hmm. even worse than forgetting the language because in those situations, you learn how to selectively deploy it hmm. to be advantageous in a predominantly white setting where they can view you as their black friend because you use a phrase or you speak wow. in a vernacular and they say, wow. oh, he's like us enough for us to accept him, but he's different enough for us to, to be able to be proud of it, of our diversity. And for the black person in the situation, we're not doing this consciously, but for the black people in that situation, we're learning how to minstrel our culture out hmm. in these settings to our advantage while losing the anchor and the rootedness of where they came from in the first place. That's a convicting word. Because all of us have to interact with majority culture spaces. And that's a convicting word to minstrel out your culture in ways that are advantageous for the moment. Now I've said I've I've done this Yikes. recently, right? Like I'll get in front of Yikes. We've all done this. We get in front of a predominantly white audience, we're speaking or preaching, and we say something that we would hear in a black church, like, uh, y'all didn't hear me, or I need some help up here, or if yeah. you can't say amen, say ouch, right? Yeah, absolutely. Like, I do that all the time. Absolutely. And on one hand, it serves a purpose. Like, it, it's, it's telling these white folks who are not used to a dialogical interaction with the speaker, it's okay here. And I get that, and I probably still do it, but also, we have to be very careful that it doesn't cross this line in terms of intention and motivation of well let me let me try it out my blackness to 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 sort of entertain uh the so white this folks. is very interesting so this is very interesting because i've always utilized that in terms of the ability to speak to the black people in the room mm -hmm. and so speaking to them so in a way even though we might be quote unquote outnumbered in the room we are now, now you have someone who's an inside man, inside woman, inside person who now has stood up and reclaimed their space and reclaimed authority in this space. So I'm going to do things for us that make us feel seen in this moment, right? But there's another level of that, which is maybe our job isn't, and this is, this is after our job is to preach truth faithfully share what, what we've been called to share. Maybe we're actually serving the function of making black people comfortable in a space that they will never truly be free in. 
And maybe by speaking to them in that way, you give the signal that it's okay to be comfortable here. Mm. And when in reality, the best thing to do may be to say, I'm going to be myself, but also to say, I've done this before. Oh, I'm sorry. Like, this is, I'm sorry. This is such and such church. I'm sorry. <laughs> I know exactly what oh, you're saying. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I can't uh-huh. do that here. Uh-huh. Like, I'll say something in slang and say, oh, I'm sorry. He does not want you to, you know yeah, what I'm right. So you spell it out in proper Every English. Every syllable, yes. Every syllable. Just, oh, I'm, I'm sorry. We don't do that here. I'll get you. He ain't want to hear that. Oh, I'm sorry. He did not want to hear. <laughs> right. But so it's almost drawing attention to okay, I can't do that here. And maybe there's a level of not necessarily intentional critique of the space necessarily, but maybe it's a subtle highlighting of what is hidden in plain sight, which is oh, this isn't our space. And there may be many dynamics at work here, but this isn't our space. Mm-hmm. So. Mm-hmm. You should pay attention to the fact that this isn't our space. It's so layered because I get a lot of black folks in those settings where they are vastly outnumbered and it's clearly not the culture they're comfortable with or grew up with, who for a brief moment, however long I'm speaking, and they hear me speak the way they're familiar with in a black vernacular they can relate to. And for that brief moment, they feel permission to bring their full selves mm. into that space. And I get so many comments after I speak like that, that they're just grateful. We finally felt seen. We finally felt heard. You've been saying, you said up in front of all these folks, what we've been saying day to day forever. And maybe they heard you. There's just this level of gratitude when you see a speaker, a presenter, a commentator, a panelist, whatever, fully inhabit their culture in ways that you strive to do, you wish to do more, maybe you feel constrained to do. But there's also the other side of that. These will never truly be our spaces. We can bring our full selves and we ought to, but it's always going to be countercultural. It is never going to be the predominant culture in that space, which is being realistic, right? And that is, again, to highlight the importance of Black-centered spaces. So none of this is to say everybody has to leave predominantly white spaces. We probably can't do that at this point. There's going to be some job, some church, some setting where there's a school, whatever it is, where it's not going to be possible. But what is a necessity, I think, is those communities of affirmation. Yeah where you don't have to explain that's part that's one of the biggest parts of these ethnic specific racial specific groups of numerically minority people yeah is the comfort level and the relief and the peace that comes with not having to explain everything you're saying or doing i mean this is why we we exist at at, at the witness it's why the witness exists why past the mic exists this is what we do. We provide space virtually from afar for people to step into a space that is for them, built for them. They hear people speak like them, speak to them, and they're able to, to embrace it and by extension, embrace themselves as well. <laughs>